Well, as you can see on this slide up on this screen, this is going to be a fun topic, isn't it? We're in a series of messages on questions in the Bible, and I'm breaking my, my whatever, because this question isn't in the Bible. We're going to see the question that is in the scripture that leads me to put that question on the slide, all right? Who is the Antichrist? For hundreds of years, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2, by the way, 1 John chapter 2. But for hundreds of years, probably maybe ever since John recorded the words we're looking at today, people have been trying to figure out who the Antichrist is that John writes about in Scripture. John, the Apostle John, is the only writer in Scripture that speaks about Antichrist. The people's imaginations have gone wild and they begin to think, could it be this person, or could it be that person, who is the Antichrist? And they try to make their calculations and their investigations go along with Scripture, but they just can't be 100% sure if they're right. Just who is the Antichrist? Some suggested during the World Wars that Benito Mussolini was the Antichrist, but then they changed their mind and said Adolf Hitler was definitely the Antichrist due to the Holocaust and the thousands of Jews that died. More recently in our own time, some suggested that Barack Obama was the Antichrist, but then they followed that up saying, no, Donald Trump was the Antichrist. And I'm sure there are probably some saying that our current president is. There were many scholars through the years that believed that the Pope in Rome was the Antichrist. But today, the scripture will clearly show you who the Antichrist is. So hang on. 1 John 2 verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Now, when John writes here and says that it's the last hour, he doesn't mean that it's the last 60 minutes of existence. How do I know that? Because we're still here. All right? We're proof that that's not what he meant. But the original Greek text actually doesn't say the last hour. The word the is not in the Greek text. John is simply saying, children, it is a last hour. That's what it literally says. And what John means is that we're in the last sequence of time before the return of Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, this last sequence is referred to as the last time, the latter times, the last days, and the hour. And this last hour covers the entire span of time between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. That entire span of time, first coming of Jesus to his return, is referred to in Scripture as the last hour, the last days, the latter days, whatever. So throughout this entire span of time, Christians will have to face the dangers of the Antichrist. And not just one, 
but many. Because John says here, even now, many antichrists have arisen. There were many in John's day. And if that were true then, how many do you think there are today? The word antichrist literally means against the Christ. Now, understand this. An antichrist is not against the idea of a Christ, but against the identity of that Christ being Jesus. You understand? They're not against the idea of a Christ, but against the identity of that Christ being Jesus. And listen to me here. The word antichrist only appears four times in the Bible. And John is the only one who uses the word. It, it appears three times here in the book of 1 John, and it appears once in 2 John verse 7. That's it. And John says that there were many in his day. And he knows, therefore, that it is the last hour because many antichrists have arisen. Now, how does that fact prove that it's the last hour? Well, antichrist wouldn't have come if the Christ hadn't come, right? So the fact that we have antichrists, plural, adds evidence to the fact that the authentic Christ, the real Christ, has come, has preceded them, in fact. And since Christ ushered in his new kingdom and he brought in a new covenant, we know that the final sequence of time is upon us. But who are the Antichrists? Well, they often come disguised as imposters or counterfeits of real Christians. Look at verse 19. They went out from where? From us. That doesn't sound very flattering, does it? They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Now, a counterfeit is an imitation of the real thing. And it's, it's difficult to tell a good counterfeit from the real thing. And so the most effective antichrist is going to be the best counterfeit. And the biggest danger to Christians does not come from an atheistic antichrist, but from those who by all appearances are a part of the church, are a part of us. You know, some Christians are led astray like sheep more quickly when false doctrine comes from within the church than if they hear it outside the church. Because inside the church, don't you expect the preacher and the, the teachers to be telling you the truth? You're not going to suspect that someone's trying to deceive you or lead you astray inside the church. But listen, always be alert. Because the devil loves to disguise himself as an angel of light, the scripture says, so as to deceive even the elect. And it isn't beneath him to use the persuasive speech of a sincere preacher or evangelist or TV evangelist or elder deacon or Sunday school teacher or professor or radio preacher to lead you astray. Don't let a person's role fool you. John writes in this same book, chapter 4, verse 1, test the spirits to see if they're from God. 
And as the book of Acts talks about the Bereans being more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was preaching was true or not. We need to be that kind of people. And so John evidently had a certain group of antichrists in mind who at one time were a part of Christianity. He said they went out from us, but they were not of us. He was saying they didn't continue with the body of Christians. They went out from us. They didn't continue with us. They didn't represent the position of the Christians, even though some people may have thought that they did. But the Antichrist's present beliefs and teachings in John's time proved that they didn't have continual oneness with that Christian community. Now please understand that outer appearance isn't enough to judge the sincerity of Christians. Man looks on the outer appearance. God knows the heart. And eventually, the counterfeits are going to be shown to be who they really are in order that it might be shown that they are not all from us in John's words. And if the counterfeits aren't spotted and identified during this life, they certainly will be at the end of the age. And although not all people on the earth might be able to tell who is the Lord's and who isn't the Lord's, God knows his own. And nobody's going to fool him when he sends his son back. Now notice verses 20 and 21. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So John says here, to those that remain faithful to the truth, they have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I believe, is the Holy One referred to here. He's the one who sent the Holy Spirit. He told his disciples, it's to your advantage that I return to the Father, because if I don't, the Helper won't come. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And he has anointed us with that. When we accept him as Lord and Savior, and our sins are washed away, we receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, sure. So to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, in essence, is one way we put on Christ. And John says his readers knew something. He says, and you all know. What is it that they know? Well, I think according to the context here, they knew that the Antichrists are denying that Jesus is the Messiah. And John says they don't just know truth, they know the truth. And usually in the New Testament, when the definite article, the, is placed in front of the word truth, and we see the truth, oftentimes it's in reference to Jesus, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So since Jesus doesn't lie, he's not the source of any lie that comes from people that claim to be his. The ultimate source of all lies is who? Satan, the devil, who John says back in his gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, that he's the father of lies. And so the Antichrist are the devil's apostles, whether they know it or not. But the big lie in this context was that Jesus was an imposter. And that's a big lie. One of the heresies that John had to deal with in his day was that of Gnosticism. 
The Gnostic people comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. They believed that salvation was found in this mystical, esoteric kind of knowledge so that you could know the real, secret God behind everything. They also believed that anything material or physical or fleshly was evil. So therefore, Jesus of Nazareth could not be the Messiah of God because he had a physical body. And they denied that Jesus was the Christ. That was one of the heresies that John had to deal with. So note, look at verses 22 and 23. Because here we have the answer to our question, who is the Antichrist? But notice the question that is asked. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. And there were many in John's day that were doing that. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Did John put a name on him? No. But now we know who the Antichrist is. Throughout the centuries, people put people's names, uh, you know, on the Antichrist. But John wasn't thinking about names, although I'm sure he probably could have come up with some. All right? But instead, John described the Antichrist generally so that when the specific people that he might have had in mind had died and left this earth, this writing wouldn't cease to be relevant. It's still relevant for us today, right? Are there still people in our world today that deny that Jesus is the Christ? Oh, absolutely there are. Antichrists weren't restricted to the first century, to John's time. They're going to live throughout this entire final chapter of earth's history. Christians in certain groups often call anyone not a part of their religious group the Antichrist. Years ago, Bonnie and I took Ryan and Jamie on vacation to Florida. We traveled as far as Valdosta, Georgia, and stopped for the night. And it was a Saturday evening, and so we, I was looking through the phone book. Do you remember what a phone book is? <laughs> and the yellow pages. Looking at the different churches, you know, under Christian or Church of Christ, and, and there was a, one there called Central Church of Christ. And we thought, well, we'll go to that. And so we checked the times out and stuff and prepared to go there the next morning. Now, you need to understand that in the southern states, a church of Christ more than likely is going to be non-instrumental. And this one was a non-instrumental church of Christ. And just from some experience with that part of our tribe, okay, they can be rather narrow-minded, legalistic, are stubborn, okay? They're not all that way. They're not. Ryan and Amanda attend the Church of Christ in Norman, Oklahoma, and they're wonderful people. But nevertheless, at that time, I told Ryan and Jamie before we went in that morning, don't tell anyone that your dad is a preacher. <laughs> because if they knew I was a preacher in a church that worshiped with instruments, 
I just didn't know what kind of reaction we might get, so I just told him not to tell anyone. Well, we stayed for Sunday school, and Bonnie and I went to this adult class. The people were nice, they were kind, but they were studying the scriptures dealing with the Antichrist and the man of sin. They were equating the two, it seemed to be. But nevertheless, in the course of the class, one of the students, an adult student, asked their adult teacher, well, who do you believe the Antichrist is? And he said, oh, without a doubt, it's the churches that worship with instruments. So please know that your preacher and his wife are the Antichrist. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that that's the extent that some people will go to. John didn't do that. He didn't tag the label of Antichrist onto those that held different opinions about something. The Antichrist refers to one kind of person, the person that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Again, an Antichrist, they're not against the idea of a Christ. They're just against the idea that Jesus of Nazareth is that Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one that denies the Father and the Son, John says. Isn't it interesting? In John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You go on through into that chapter, it says he came into his own and what? Who are his own? It's in reference to his own people who were the Jews, the Israelites. They rejected Jesus as the Christ, right? That's a scary position to be in. And I know that one of the big news topics and big concerns people have noticed lately is all the unrest and the escalating war in the Middle East. All those people involved in that over there the overwhelming majority majority of them reject Jesus as the Christ. And there will never be peace in that land until they come to know the Prince of Peace. And we need to pray for that situation. Pray not only for Israel, but pray for all of those that are involved. The Antichrist could be your next door neighbor if they reject Jesus as the Christ. You see, the Antichrist is the one that denies the Son. It's as simple as that. A person can be in error about maybe some other doctrines without being an Antichrist, but you can't be in error about the deity of Jesus. That's central because a person's relationship to God is directly related to his acceptance or denial of Jesus. To deny Jesus is to deny the primary way that we know God. And so to deny Jesus is to oppose even the doctrine of God. You notice verse 23, whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father. You can't have one without the other. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You know, a person only has two courses to take, confession or condemnation. And confession may may be temporarily costly as it may invite persecution, but condemnation is eternally costly. It results in being cut off from the fellowship, according to verse 19, being called a liar in verse 22, and being without God in verse 23. And hear me now, it is not possible to believe in God and not believe in Jesus. 
You try to do that, the final result will be hell. But to confess Jesus is to be united to the, in the Father and to have a grand future. In the first century, those who confessed the deity of Jesus, they were immersed into him. They became clothed with him in the act of faith. They were promised eternal life. And notice that John said the Christian needs to confess two things. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, he is to confess his sins. And secondly, you confess God's Son as the Messiah. And those two are essentially related. Because if we don't confess our sin, we have no need for the Son. And if we don't confess the Son, we have no remedy for our sin problem. So to confess Jesus is to acknowledge God's provision for our sin problem. To deny Jesus or to deny the Father, either way, is to be lost. And our lip confession must be backed up by a life of commitment. That's what abiding in the Son is all about. Look at verse 24 and following. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it's true and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. John's readers were to abide in what they had heard from the beginning because that is their defense against being deceived. But what had they heard from the beginning? Well, they had heard that Jesus was the word of life. He was the eternal life who was with the Father. They had heard that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Messiah. In addition to that, they knew he was the advocate the righteous one, and the cancellation of their sins. And the best way to stick with those doctrines about Jesus is to refuse to listen to any arguments or lectures given by people that deny the deity of Jesus. The reward of heaven is only for those who let the Christian message about Jesus remain in them. And Jesus made the promise conditional. And he will conditionally carry it out. If we allow the truth about Jesus to find a home in our hearts right now, we'll find a home in his heaven later on. But we've got to be on our guard against the Antichrist because they're out to deceive the Christians. And their main tactic is to lure lambs away from the church, from the flock, by their magnetic teaching. And you know, if it were not possible for them to do it, John wouldn't have spent so much time here warning his readers against them. So brothers and sisters, don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You know that. The Holy Spirit is the source of, our, of all Christian teaching. Holy Spirit is what inspired the words that we have in this book we call the Bible. We find that teaching is the inspired Word of God, the Scriptures, and when John says you have no need for anyone to teach you, <laughs> he's not condemning Christians teaching Christians. He's simply wanting to make sure that they're not listening to false teachers and to the Antichrist. 
not just listening to, to just anyone. Just because a person claims to be a teacher with something to say doesn't mean we have to listen to him. But we are to abide in Christ, and in order to do that, his word must abide in us. And the primary test of a proper teacher is that teacher's acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ from God. And if a teacher will not acknowledge that, then get out of his classroom. Forget his teaching, because he's an antichrist who would like to deceive you. Look at verse 28 and 9. And now, little children, abide in him, so that if he should appear, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. The Antichrist didn't abide in Jesus. They didn't remain in the faith. They went out. They left. But those who do abide in Jesus and in the faith will have confidence at Jesus' second coming. Jesus is coming again, right? Absolutely. That's a certainty. When he's coming is not a certainty. Jesus himself didn't know, according to Matthew 24, verse 36. His return will be like a thief. He's not going to send us his calendar ahead of time. It'll be at a time that we don't expect. And so when you think you've got it all figured out, forget it. If Jesus didn't know, neither do you. So what's our responsibility then? Be ready. Be ready, that's it. When Jesus taught about his second coming, he constantly repeated two truths. No one's going to know when, but you've got to be ready. Be ready. And if we abide in him... We'll be ready. If we abide in him, we'll have confidence when he returns. You know, there are some Christians that, that are suspicious about being confident as if there's something wrong with that. That, that. that we're being cocky. That we're being overconfident. Well, listen, we can be confident in what we trust, can't we? Do you trust God? Do you trust his promises? Do you trust in Jesus' ability to save you? Then why in the world wouldn't we have confidence at his return? Is God going to make good on what he said? Jesus going to save us and take us to be into the Father's house? Yeah. Why wouldn't we be confident? What does John write near the end of his epistle in 1 John? These things I've written that you might know that you have eternal life. Too many Christians, if you ask them if they know that, they'll say, well, I hope so. You don't have to hope so. You can know. You can have confidence. You know, one time I thought when Jesus returned that everybody, even Christians, would run away and hide. But how wrong I was because the Christian that's been abiding in him and practicing righteousness, is not going to run away from him. They're going to run to him with thanksgiving and praise. The Antichrist will shrink away. Those who don't know Jesus will shrink away. But the Christians will scramble toward him. What makes the difference? Abiding in him. Abiding in the truth. We can have confidence that it's coming because we know that we're in his family. 
You know, it's going to be like a family reunion. That's the way I envision it. When Bonnie and I get to see our grandchildren and they see us, you know what they do? They come a-running. When Jesus returns, we'll come a-running because we're a part of his family. The question today is, are you? Are you a part of his family? If, not, if you are, you can have confidence when he returns. And if you're not, you're on dangerous ground, my friend. But you can change that today by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Please don't deny that. Let's stand and sing.